one of the great hymns that we love to sing was written by Horatio Spafford during a period of great personal darkness. His words, When peace, like a river, attendeth my way, when sorrows, like sea, billows roll, testify of the process that he was going through in attempting to reconcile God's goodness and life's hardships. Again, in the second stanza, though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, then Christ has regarded my helpless estate. And in the midst of Mr. Spafford's darkness, he concludes, it is well with my soul. Today we are in the second study of a series on Christian laments. Last week we looked at Psalm 86. Today we begin looking at the book of Lamentations. Would you please find that book of the Bible in your copy of the Holy Scriptures? If you're using the Pew Bible, it's page 574. If you don't go to Lamentations regularly, I can tell you that it comes after the longer books of Isaiah and Jeremiah, and it comes before the book of Ezekiel. We'll read the first chapter of Lamentations in a few minutes, but first I want to, to briefly remind us of the direction that we're headed in this study on laments. A bunch of us were not here last week for a variety of reasons, and I rec recommend that you listen to the podcast or get a CD recording of that sermon. Man, it was the very best sermon I preached all day last Sunday. But more importantly, it will help you uh, get a fuller context of where we're going in the study. I'll do a brief review this morning. We'll consider the truth that even though, for the Christian, all tears will be wiped away in the next life, in this life, everything doesn't end happily ever after. There is hurt. There is hardship. There's darkness that comes as a result of living on a planet that continues to face the consequences of sin and sin's curse. There is darkness that comes from our own personal sin, from relationship failures, from infertility, from disease, from children's heartaches, from a lack of a companion, from the death of a loved one, from marriage struggles, racial prejudice, disobedience to God, rejection of the gospel. Darkness comes in a variety of ways. Therefore, it's, it's inevitable that we find ourselves, either intentionally or unintentionally, attempting to reconcile the goodness of God, all this goodness and mercy that's following us all the days of our lives, it's our attempt to reconcile the goodness of God with the hardships, with the reality of darkness in our own life. And even in this attempt of reconcil reconciling those two, God has given us a means, a practice to do that. It's lament. Last week I gave you this quote from Mark Vergrup's uh, book, 
It says, lament is how you live between the poles of, of a hard life and trusting in God's sovereignty. Lament is how we bring our sorrow to God. Lament is how Christians grieve. Lament is how we help hurting people. Finally, lament is not only a gift, but also a neglected dimension of the Christian life for many 21st century Christians. Here was the main thought from last Lord's Day. The reality of darkness in the life of a Christian calls for the practice of laments in the life of a Christian, which results in the hope of God in the life of a Christian. Through our study in Psalm 86, we identified four actions that we can take when we are attempting to reconcile the goodness of God with the hardships of this life. We go to God. We, we, we go to God, and then we, then we complain to God. And there's a right way and a wrong way to complain to God. There's a biblical way and an unbiblical way to complain to God. But that's part of the process, complaining to God. We go to God. We complain to God. We ask of God. David in Psalm 86 was asking for mercy, and he was asking for a united heart to God. And then we trust in God. We hope in God. The book of Lamentations does this. There are times that we will see of, of going to God and, and complaining to God and asking of God and, yes, trusting in God. Now, a quick word about the, the structure of Lamentations. The author is technically unknown, but it's most often attributed to, to Jeremiah. He's most likely the human writer of the book of Lamentations. The setting is, is dealing with the calamity that came to the nation of Israel, specifically Judah. Jerusalem in Judah suffered at the hands of the Babylonians. The Babylonian army attacked Jerusalem. It was a terrible time. The people of the city, the people of Judah, lamented their sufferings. The book responds to the darkness that they were experiencing. The Jews were lamenting the capture and the destruction of Jerusalem. The book was probably written between 586 and 516 B.C. It's only five chapters long. There are five dirges, five uh, poems, if you will. It's a book of, of poetry. The, the first four chapters are each an acrostic. The fifth chapter is not an acrostic. The first four chapters are an, ac an acrostic of the Hebrew alphabet. Now, you won't see that acrostic because you're reading out of an English translation, but it's, it's uh, from the Hebrew alphabet. Uh, the 22 letters in the there's 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet, so every... Uh, so verse 1 begins with the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet, verse 2, the second letter, and so forth. This is why there's 22 verses in the first, second, and fourth chapters. Chapter 3 is also an acrostic, but you'll notice that it's not 22 verses. It's 66 verses. That's because each letter of the Hebrew alphabet is given three verses. 22 times 3 carries on 66, and there's 66 verses in chapter 3. This acrostic structure is why commentators often refer to Lamentations as a book of suffering from A to Z. There's not a single one thought that is in each chapter or even in the book. Rather, we see themes that are recurring throughout each chapter and even throughout the book. It's a book that's filled with, with grand and wild imagery that's intended to make deep impactful impressions upon the reader. Lamentations is a, is a book that poignantly reminds us that darkness and brokenness is a reality of this world, 
of our world. Now, friend, your darkness is not the destruction of your nation's capital city. But your darkness is not less real. Your darkness is not less important. And though we all experience darkness in a, in a large variety of ways, we are all plagued with the darkness of our own sin, remaining sin. And that is the specific darkness that's referenced in Lamentations 1. Regarding this first chapter, it took me several reads, reading through it, to understand the structure of the dirge in chapter number 1. What was happening? Key to your understanding, I, I realize I have the advantage of having read it multiple times. Hopefully you've read it. You got the weekly update on email and you've read it in advance. But key to our understanding is there are two voices speaking in the chapter. It's kind of a, a back and forth between the poet, probably Jeremiah, and the voice of a personified Jerusalem. So Jerusalem speaks as a whole. I was trying to think of ways to help us grasp that. I thought about having one of our ladies read the Jerusalem parts while I read the Jeremiah part, but I'll just, just indicate when the change of voices is happening. Now, if you're reading out of a modern translation, you have the advantage of having quotation marks, which marks when Jerusalem is speaking. Um, so you'll be able to make that differential there as well. Finally, before I read, you would be incredibly helped to read Lamentations 1 from a modern translation later today. I highly recommend that you do so. Hear now Lamentations, hear Lamentations 1, the Word of God. <clears throat> How does a city sit solitary that was full of people? How has she become a widow that she was great among the nations and princess among the provinces? How has she become tributary or how has she become a slave? She weepeth sore in the night, and her tears are on her cheeks. Among all her lovers, she hath none to comfort her. All her friends have dealt treacherously with her. They are become her enemies. Judah is gone down into captivity because of affliction and because of great servitude. She dwelleth among the heathen. She findeth no rest. All her persecutors overlook her between the straits or between the times of distress. The ways of Zion do mourn because none come to the solemn feast. All her gates are desolate. Her priests sigh. Her virgins are afflicted as she is in bitterness. Her adversaries are the chief. Her enemies prosper. For the Lord hath afflicted her for the multitude of her transgressions. Her children are gone into captivity before the enemy. And from the daughter of Zion, all her beauty or her majesty is departed. Her princes are become like hearts or deer that find no pasture. And they are gone without strength before the pursuer. Jerusalem remembered in the days of her affliction and of her miseries all her pleasant things that she had in the days of old. When her people fell into the hand of the enemy, none did help her. The adversaries saw her and did not mock her at her Sabbaths. Now when it says did not mock her at her Sabbaths, it's not talking about Sabbath rest. Did not mock her at her downfall or at her destruction. Jerusalem has grievously sinned, therefore she is removed. All that honored her despise her because they have seen her nakedness. Yea, she sigheth and turneth backward. 
Her filthiness is in her skirts. She remembereth not her last end. So that's not looking backwards. She remembereth not her last end. It means she took no thought of the future. Therefore, she came down wonderfully. What that means is she came down terribly. She came down in an astounding way. She had no comforter. Now Jerusalem speaks. O Lord, behold my affliction, for the enemy hath magnified or triumphed himself. Jeremiah, probably again. The adversary has spread out his hand upon all her pleasant things, for she hath seen that the heathen entered into, the sanctuary, into her sanctuary, whom thou didst command that they should not enter into thy congregation. All her people sigh. They seek bread. They have given their, their pleasant things for meat to relieve the soul. So they make a trade. Jerusalem now speaks again. See, O Lord, and consider, for I am become a vile, despised. Verse 12. It is nothing to you that all ye pass by? Behold and see if there be any sorrow like unto my sorrow, which is done unto me. Wherewith the Lord hath afflicted me in the day of his fierce anger. From above hath he sent fire into my bones, and it prevaileth against them. He hath spread a net for my feet. He hath turned my back. He hath made me desolate and faint all the day. The yoke of my transgressions is bounded by his hand. They are wreathed and come up upon my neck. Jerusalem says, He hath, God hath made my strength to fall. The Lord hath delivered me into their hands, from whom I am not able to rise up. The Lord hath trodden underfoot all my mighty men in the midst of me. He hath called an assembly against me to crush my young men. The Lord hath trodden the virgin, the daughter of Judah, as a winepress. Jerusalem says, For these things I weep. Mine eye, mine eye runneth down with, with water, with tears. Because the comforter that should relieve my soul is far from me. My children are desolate because the enemy prevailed. The poet now says in verse 17, Zion spreadeth forth her hands. There is none to comfort her. The Lord hath commanded concerning Jacob that his adversaries should be round about. Jerusalem is as a menstruous woman among them, a filthy thing among them. Now Jerusalem speaks again to close the first chapter. The Lord is righteous, for I have rebelled against his commandments. Here I pray you all people and behold my sorrow. My virgins and my young men are gone into captivity. I called for my lovers, but they deceived me. My priests and my elders, they died. They gave up the ghosts in the city while they sought their meat to relieve their souls. Behold, look, O Lord, for I am in distress. My bowels are troubled. My stomach churns. My heart is turned within me. For I have grievously rebelled. Abroad the sword bereaveth. At home there is, there is a death. They have heard that I sigh. There is none to comfort me. All mine enemies have heard my trouble. They are glad that, has, that thou hast done it. Thou wilt bring the day that thou hast called, and they shall be like unto me. Let their wickedness come before thee, and do unto them thou hast done unto me for all my transgressions. For my sighs are many, and my heart is faint. The practice of sin, the practice of sin can bring much pleasure. 
the practice of sin will bring much misery. Christians are called to lament because of their sin, which brings about this misery. Before we come to the table, we rem- to remember our redemption from sin, from the misery of our sin, we'll very briefly consider four aspects of the misery that comes as a result of our sin from Lamentations 1. First, misery exposes the foolishness of my sin. The kingdom of Israel had been divided into two, the northern and the southern kingdom. The southern kingdom was also referred to as Judah, and its capital city was the city of Jerusalem. Lamentation 1 describes this city. Lamentation 1 describes Jerusalem as a widow, being enslaved, comfortless, without dignity, taunted, exiled, stripped of all her grandeur, and desolate. It was indeed a miserable setting, and the imagery used in Lamentations 1 can hardly paint a a more desperate picture. The city finds herself in this position because they, the people had ignored the warnings from God. Verse number 8, Jerusalem hath grievously sinned, therefore she has removed all that honored her despiser because they have seen her nakedness. The misery of the Jews exposed their own foolishness. How had they been foolish? They had been foolish not to be thankful. Their ingratitude to God was a display that had not recognized God's covenant's faithfulness to them. They had been foolish to worship other gods that could not and had not delivered them as God had delivered them in ages past. They had been foolish to make alliances with surrounding nations that would pull them further away from Jehovah God. They had been warned against all of these. And yet Jerusalem was so unaware. She was oblivious. Jerusalem was indifferent to their own personal responsibilities. They never even considered the possibility of repeated rebellion against God, bringing God's anger, bringing God's destruction upon her. Jerusalem was proud. She thought herself to be indestructible, that she would always stand. She was putting her strength in herself, not in the Lord. She was making an attempt at being self-sufficient. And Jerusalem didn't see the warning signs that accompany rebellion to Jehovah God. They had crashed on a curve in the road after zooming past so many warning signs to reduce speed ahead. Certainly we did the same thing as before we came to Christ as unbelievers. Our hearts had not yet been given new life. But we must see that even now, as children of God, that we often live with a similar attitude and we foolishly ignore the reminders that God has given to us, the warning signs. And we go down the same path that Jerusalem was headed. We don't heed the warning signs that accompany our own individual rebellion against God. Oh, sure, I'll never fall into that sin. I've got it under control. Well, since nobody else knows about it, I don't really have to worry about the drastic consequences of this action in my rebellion against God. I can dabble in the use of a controlled substance. I can allow my heart to be sinfully angry from time to time. It won't get control of me. I can look at graphic sensual images once in a while. Friend, pray. Pray for the Spirit of God to open your eyes 
to the foolishness of your own sinful ways. Pray regularly that God will show you the dreadful ways of your sinful hearts and that you will heed the warning signs that the Scriptures give to you. The practice of sin can bring much pleasure. The practice of sin will bring much misery. Misery exposes the foolishness of my sin. Secondly, misery includes the loneliness of my sin. Look at verse 1 again. How does the city sit solitary that was full of people? How has she become a widow that was great among the nations and princess among the provinces? How has she become tributary or a slave? Jerusalem is a broken city. Jerusalem now is a lonely widow. She had been a princess, but now she is a slave. Let that picture, let that image settle into your mind for just a minute this morning. Some of us can remember the tragedy of Princess Diana's death. And further, we remember how both reputation and royal status was soiled through the drama of sinful relationships. But even then, Princess Di was never reduced to a slave. Jerusalem was a princess. And now, nothing but a slave. A slave is lonely. A slave is forsaken. Verse 2 speaks of the city being forsaken by her lovers. The city is now in deep grief. She weeps bitterly. Five times in Lamentations 1, it is repeated that there is no one to comfort the city of Jerusalem. The city feels the absolute darkness of being companionless and comfortless. The city of Jerusalem is companionless and comfortless. This is what sin does. Sin robs you of the realization of God's presence with you. How could this happen? How could a city made up of God's special people now be lonely? How could the people of Judah now exist without the realization of God's presence with them? Friend, consider the misery of being forsaken by God. Christian, it is a good and a healthy exercise to consider what it would be like to be forsaken by God. Forsaken by God. Contemplate the absolute horror of not having God's presence with you. Think about what it would be like to not know and be assured of His presence with you. Not sensing His presence when you have an important decision to make in your career or for your family. Not sensing His presence when you face the darkness of an unfaithful spouse. Not sensing his presence through the grief of losing a loved one. This is what sin does. It forfeits your realization of God's presence with you. Now sin doesn't change the reality that God is omnipresent. Sin, your personal sin, doesn't change the reality that God is always, God is everywhere all the time. He never stops being everywhere at the same time. However, the Bible tells us that if we regard iniquity in our hearts, the Lord will not hear us. Christian, 
actively chase sin out of your life, it will lead to loneliness. It will rob you of the realization that God is with you. The practice of sin can bring much pleasure. The practice of sin will bring much misery. Misery exposes the foolishness of my sin. Misery includes loneliness because of my sin. Thirdly, misery acknowledges God's wrath for my sin. While chapter 1 does not out and out claim that God betrayed Jerusalem, it is clear to us the hand of divine judgments had been active. It was clear to Jerusalem. In other words, God was bringing judgment. The destruction of Jerusalem was not a random result. The darkness that they were experiencing was not just because. No, God was active. God was bringing judgment on the people for their sin. Look at verse 5. Her adversaries are the chief. Her enemies prosper. For the Lord hath afflicted her for the multitude of her transgressions. Verse number 12. It is nothing to you, all ye that pass by. Behold and see if there be any sorrow like unto my sorrow, which is done unto me, wherewith the Lord hath afflicted me in the day of fierce anger. Verse 14. The yoke of my transgression is bound in his hand. They are reed, and they are come about upon my neck. For he hath made my strength to fall. The Lord hath delivered me into their hands, from whom I am not able to rise up. And verse number 17 again. Zion spreadeth forth her hands. There is none to comfort her. The Lord hath commanded concerning Jacob that his adversaries should be round about him. Jerusalem is as a menstruous woman among them. The city understood that their misery was being brought about as God's judgments for their sin. God was responding to their sin. Jerusalem's disaster was a divine punishment for her nation's transgressions. Speaking of lamentations, Don Carson said it this way, These poems vindicate God. God, not human beings, is in control of history. And God will not be mocked. Justice ultimately will prevail in the drama of history because God is just. God was bringing out justice for the people of Jerusalem. Judah understood that their misery was brought about by God's response to their sin. There was a connection between the presence of pain and the sovereignty of Almighty God. There is a tension there that is core to our laments. Verse 12, we read it. Jerusalem asked, Does anyone sorrow like we sorrow? Is anyone's darkness as is our darkness? Friends, one of the temptations that comes to each of us in our own times of distress, specifically when we're talking and thinking about our own personal sin, is to think that our own suffering is unique to us or that we are carrying a heavier load, a heavier burden than other people. Or maybe you are are discipling a brother or sister in Christ, and they are convinced that their own sorrow is so great. And they even look at you and they ask the question, has anyone else had to deal with this level of hardship? Yes. In fact, there has been somebody who has had to do that. And his name is Jesus. Jesus has dealt with that level of hardship. God's wrath was brought upon his son, Jesus Christ, because of the sin that was laid upon Jesus. It was not the sin of Christ, for Christ had no sin, but it was our sin that was laid on Him. And because of that, God poured out His anger. God's justice 
was going to be appeased. And it would happen as his anger for our sin was placed upon Christ instead of being placed upon us. Because of that, because of our sin, God poured out his anger on his son. The practice of sin can bring much pleasure. The practice of sin will bring much misery. Misery exposes the foolishness of my sin. Misery includes loneliness because of my sin. Comfortless. Misery acknowledges God's wrath for my sin. And lastly, misery reveals the depth of my sin. Verse 8, Jerusalem hath grievously sinned. Therefore she is removed. All that honored her despise her because they have seen her nakedness. Yea, she sigheth. She groans. She turns backward. Her filthiness is in her skirt. She remembereth not her last end. She, she doesn't give consideration to the future. Therefore, she came down wonderfully or, or with astoundingly. She had no comforter. She was, she was comfortless. O Lord, behold my affliction, for the enemy hath triumphed. The enemy hath magnified himself. Jerusalem had become filthy through and through by her participation in the sensual and the dirty practices of the Canaanites. Verses 8 and 9 tell us that she was once a woman who, who, who had been sought after, but now she was shunned because she was unclean. People of Jerusalem were indifferent to their responsibility to reflect the holiness of Jehovah God. The Jews had made alliances that softened their respect for God's holiness. The people of God had had grown lax in their honor of who God was. And it resulted in a full display of the depravity of their sin. Friends, this is precisely why the Christian is instructed to stay away from sin. 2 Corinthians 7, Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Ephesians 5, 4, Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead, let there be thanksgiving. Jerusalem was thoroughly unclean, and every single human being in all of history is the same way. Thoroughly unclean. In fact, our sin was so damning Our rebellion against God was so complete. Our run from God was so fast and so far. Our state of depravity was so total that it took the almighty creator God to sacrifice his son, his only son, Jesus Christ. Jesus was killed. It took Jesus being forsaken Jesus experienced the loneliness. Jesus was miserable for us. The cry of desolation from Jesus on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Our sin wasn't something small that could be overlooked. Our sin stained us at the core. Our sin corrupted us all the way through. We weren't just damaged goods. We were dead in sin. God has indeed brought humiliation to the city, but he will also be the one to whom the city goes to and cries out for help. As the dirge of chapter 1 comes to a close, 
There was a plea for mercy in chapter in verses 21 and 22. They have heard that I groan, the city says. There is none to comfort me. All mine enemies have heard of my trouble. They are glad that thou hast done it. Thou wilt bring the day thou hast called, and they shall be like unto me. So the city is calling for God to bring about a day where the enemy is, will be like Jerusalem. And the, and the city cries out, Let all their wickedness come before you, God, and do unto them, my enemies, as you have done unto me for all my transgressions. For my sighs, my groans are many, and my heart is faint. It is a cry for God to send punishment to the city's enemies. It is an appeal for God to let Jerusalem's enemies experience what the citizens of Jerusalem have experienced themselves. The depths of Judah's sin had been revealed in their misery. You see, the practice of sin can bring much pleasure. The practice of sin will bring much misery. Lamentations 1 is a sobering reminder of the misery that will, will be experienced by all who think that they can escape God's punishment for their own sin apart from God's provision of escape through His Son, Christ. Let me be very clear this morning. All suffering is not the result of your own sinful choices. But some of your suffering can be the results of your own individual sin. Jerusalem had a difficult time seeing themselves in light of their failures. Jerusalem had a difficult time understanding, getting an accurate picture of themselves. Christians in 2019, likewise, have a difficult time seeing ourselves in light of our own failures. We are not quick to see our foolish choices, that our misery is brought about as because we have ignored the warning signs of God. We are not quick to see our own foolishness. We are not quick to recognize that through our sin, we forfeit the realization of God's presence with us. We believe the, the, the lies of the devil that somehow we can enter into this sin and it won't result in the, the, the forfeiture of the, the realization of God's presence with us. It doesn't send God away, but sin, well, if we regard iniquity in our hearts, He will not hear us. We are not quick to acknowledge that God is angry with sin and that God takes action because of sin. And we are not quick to remember the depth of our own sin. And because we are not quick in these ways, God, in His grace, has put some helps in place for us. God has given to us the local church to help us be spurred on to faithfulness to our God. And God has given to us the practice of coming to a table to remember what Jesus has done for us because of our sin. Christian, it is healthy. It is a healthy exercise to remember that you, that you individually, not Christians or the church in general, it is healthy, a healthy exercise to remember that you individually chose to rebel against God. It is a healthy exercise to remember the amount of your sin that was placed on Christ at the cross. It is a healthy exercise to remember that Jesus 
was made miserable on the cross because of you. It is healthy to remember that you caused him to experience being forsaken by God, hanging there alone. It is a healthy exercise to remember that your sin angered God. It is a healthy exercise to remember that you were dead. Dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. That is the load that was placed on Jesus. That was the greatness of our sin. So let us remember even now our great sin before we come to the table and rejoice in God's great provision. Would you take